Hello, and welcome back to another installment of the nominee interview series for the 2019 My Entertainment World Critic Picks Awards. Um, so we have four episodes that are coming to you on the podcast feed this year. Um, we like to do ensemble and production nominee interviews in groups, um, and give the, give you the audio version so that you get a sense of the camaraderie and the group dynamic. Uh, the rest of the interview series is available as always on myentertainmentworld.ca in print form. Those are all of our one-on-one interviews with all of the nominated artists. Um, but the group interviews, those are going to be in the podcast feed. So this is one of those for you. Um, this interview is conducted by Duncan Derry, who's one of our staff writers who reviewed the production as well as nominated these particular artists. Um, the artists in question are the outstanding ensemble nominated cast of Portia's Julius Caesar, um, which happened at Hart House last year. Um, the, the, the production is also nominated for outstanding leading performance in a play for Felix Beauchamp. And he has a solo interview as well on the website, if you want to go check that out. And he's here for about half of this interview. Um, then he had to run, uh, but he's here with, uh, three of his castmates. And so Duncan talks to them about the process of working on the play and the group dynamic and what they were hoping people would take away from the show. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, also, please do go check out the rest of the nominee interview series. We had to obviously postpone the awards show because of COVID-19 shutting down um, all of our get-togethers. Uh, but we have a lot of content happening on the website right now while we're all in social isolation. So um, on the podcast feed, they're in addition to our usual favorite series and Shakespeare series. We also have two new initiatives happening called the Corona Movie Club and Corona Cold Reads um, with lots of new episodes going up all the time. We also obviously have new new articles going up on myentertainmentworld.ca um, in print all the time as well. So make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, myentworld, myentworld to get all of the latest there. And eventually we will be posting the winners on the website so that everybody does get to find out who won these, even if we can't hand them out in person. And then eventually uh, we will hopefully be able to get back together and do um, a little bit of a celebration because I have trophies. Um, And right now they're just taking up space in my apartment. So we do have to get them into the hands of the artists at some point. So hopefully we can do that down the road. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy these interviews with the nominated artists. It's been a really great time um, getting to talk to them all. Uh, Please note that this was, of course, recorded a while ago. Um, so this was pre COVID. So it was, it was recorded in person, but at the time that was fine. And, uh, you are going to be here mention of projects, uh, that at the time were going to be happening in the future and at the moment are still hopefully going to be happening in the future, but right now have been either postponed or canceled. So, um, please keep that in mind while you're listening. Um, all right. I hope you enjoy. Because it's a group of you, we won't get into more like background biographical stuff, at least off the top, but can you talk about just, I guess you all met each other, did you all know each other before, any, to any degree before mm-hmm. doing the show? No. Um, slight knowledge slight. here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I knew one or two, one or two faces in the cast when we met on the first day, but yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew no one, I had seen Alex in an audition that she may not remember. I don't remember at all. <laughs> Alumni Theater a couple years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So what? I remembered you, but it was very brief interaction. But that's wow. Like, what was the audition for? I don't even remember what it was called. Uh, you were playing a lady who had a son, and you were... Like, Mental illness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Animal. Yeah. Animal, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was... Yeah. 
Wow, I don't remember you. I'm That's sorry. Okay. But I remember you now. <laughs> very vividly. Speak, so. Right. Yeah. Until you do, but you didn't get to that part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad that you didn't get that role because I was terrible to your character. <laughs> and it would have been difficult with you. Totally. So we'll cut this part. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, had, so Felix was telling me he'd seen it uh, in the Shakespeare in the Rough version. Had any of you seen the earlier version? No. Or knew of it? I had, I know, I had known of it um, and had heard of it, but wasn't able to make it to the performances. Uh-huh. Um, so I was really excited when I saw that it was remounting. Uh-huh. Um, with Eva as director, I'm, yeah. Are you guys familiar with Eva and Caitlin and their respective work? Yeah, I I worked with Eva on a on a production of Easter by August Strindberg. Oh gosh, maybe five six years ago, um, and so I I knew her from from that process and also just around. Yeah. Um, and Caitlin as well. I I come in contact with her mm-hmm. on a couple of different occasions. Mm-hmm. So you first all get in the rehearsal room. Is it? Do you start with ensemble work, or was it just scene by scene? Con- we started with the ground up. Very intense text work. Uh-huh. That was the base of our rehearsals. Table work. A while before we got onto our feet. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's going through every scene, every word, all of our intentions. What? Yeah. What was the story we were trying to get across? And uh-huh. people wanted to make sure that was solid before we were up on our feet and playing with the text. Uh-huh. Which felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing how. Yeah. Yeah, useful that was. Mm-hmm. Just was, oh, I was just going to say there was a lot of focus on relationship, mm-hmm. um, and and historical context as well. You know, looking at um, some members of the cast had been familiar with the original Julius Caesar, and so looking at the broader historical context of um, just the history of Rome at the time and and relationships that people had with one another. And the role of women. Obviously. And the role of women, yeah. obviously, yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, of deep relationship building with character as well. Uh-huh. Felix, again, was telling me that some there was some sort of textual like, uh, like developments and changes from what had originally been performed, which is pretty rough. Were there instances that you remember where there were for any of you like intentionally like I would like this to be developed more or I would like to try and change this or see where this goes or was it just kind of a process of I think it happened naturally yeah um, specifically with the washerwoman as well we had mm-hmm. moments of improv that was welcome mm-hmm. that yeah. kind of developed itself into their own scenes mm-hmm. which was cool but yeah I, I felt it happened organically for yeah. myself and what I was doing because mm-hmm. you guys it's kind of for lack of a better it's kind of like the chorus of the show in a way yes very like female or perspective of the chorus but it it kind of has to ground the play in a sense as being like the framework for what's happening absolutely and also to bring some levity to the tragedy and to also examine how the actions of a few affect so so many people Mm -hmm. we see such an aristocratic world that we're looking at and we see how everyone is affected down to the very women working in the homes uh and you know, washing clothes in the back alley, we see how their lives are directly affected by the actions of... Yeah, not just the noble woman like Portia, but everyone. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, war affects everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine that was a big part of the discussions that were going on. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 When you began, was maybe more on the part of Caitlin than Eva, maybe both, was there kind of a mission statement that they opened with when they started working with you guys? Were they saying, this is what we're trying to do or we're trying to accomplish with the play? 
kind of the opposite, actually. Right from the beginning, they were like, what do you want from us? Yeah. What do you need the space to be? Mm -hmm. uh, every single person needed to respond, didn't need to, but uh, was asked to respond to that in order to create an atmosphere that fostered our best work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was the first thing that they did, uh -huh. which was amazing uh -huh. and rare and, you know. It was a group mission statement in yeah. many ways. Like we really, we built the foundation of the principles for the space that we were going to be working in. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very kind of safe space, I would imagine. A very trusting space. And a brave space as uh -huh. well. A space where, where we can not push each other's boundaries, but but push conceptual boundaries and explore and question and... Because you all know where you're coming from. Exactly. And, and we, all had, we all had an understanding of how everybody likes to work. And mm -hmm. it's, it's often such a behind-the-scenes negotiation when you are first working with people you don't know very well. Mm -hmm. you, you're kind of just trying to suss out what people need without having that verbal acknowledgement and that straightforward conversation. Like, mm -hmm. it took us... I don't know, maybe like an hour, hour and a half to just talk about what everybody likes to have in the space and what people need from the space and and their processes. And yeah, it, just, it made it a much less indiv individualistic experience. Like, yeah. yeah. We, we were sowing the seeds very early on for, for a group dynamic. Yeah. Well, that's what stood out so much was just the cohesive ensemble work. Mm -hmm. Confidently that felt... But on an individual basis, your character, Sevilla, is kind of a new-ish character. Not in history. Yeah, but... Um, and not for people within that watched the, Rome. The yeah, show. yeah. But, Although there's a little bit but, of a difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about your role? And obviously she'd written it before, it had been performed before, but yeah. developing it for this with uh, Caitlin for this version? Uh, first of all, Caitlin was amazing. Uh -huh. She was so present, uh, and it's such a gift to have the writer in the rehearsal room with you, uh, which is incredible. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cerulea was amazing to play. Mm -hmm. I had uh, so much fun with that character, which is uh, something I hadn't had that much fun with a lot of characters I had been playing. They were lovely, and I loved playing them, but they were very emotionally taxing, and Cerulea, yeah. yeah. It's serious, but you get to have fun. Yeah, it wins throughout the entire play, until that very last scene, which she still <laughs> somehow manages to sort of twist things around and pretend she's still winning. Um, yeah, it was great... To also, because I've done a fair amount of Shakespeare, but all these roles have been played forever. And this is a new one. And that, you know, like you get to make it up as you go along and discover as you go along and not, which you should, I guess, be doing with every rule. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just a blank slate in so many ways, but the words were there and what she does is there. And uh, yeah, it was a great deal of fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us kind of working together? Yeah, it was. I yeah, that first scene is very interesting. I find. Yeah. I remember going into it initially. There was a lot more anger and kind of having an argument, mm -hmm. and then we push more into the levity of Brutus in that scene. Just the mother son relationship and the the tracks that you get on, and you're able to trigger each other and like push the buttons. Yeah, and they're so in a smart way where it's just like mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like yeah, but they're both yeah, so yeah. articulate and so yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot of subtext and knowing 
how it goes. Like, yeah. So well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Such yeah. Familiarity with that. Yeah. That's yeah. a great scene. It was. It's a great Remind scene. Remind me what the, the nature of that first scene is. It's when I after. I plant the seeds, the first seeds, yeah. and sort of suss him out and find out where he after is. Cassie's and just put... Uh, Cassius is after. Yeah, yeah. First I talk to him, yeah. and then I talk to Cassius. Yeah. But Cassius and, I, Cassius and I have had conversations in the past, uh-huh. uh, but his is the first... Yeah. Mm-hmm. First we had the washerwoman scene, and we oh, hear yeah. that, and you're wearing the crown. Yes. And that's when I realize how serious it is. And then I go straight to him. Yeah. And just casually sort of <laughs> find out what he's thinking. And it's a lot of like, Servilia brings up this notion that Caesar wants to be king. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like, there's no way. That's not possible. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to find after, like, what's the shift in Brutus and why he starts to believe it. Yeah. I try a bunch of different tactics, mm-hmm. including guilting you, uh, which is the fun one. <laughs> <laughs> so the most effective with mothers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And then for you guys, you're kind of, again, like this sort of commentary that you're present a lot. Can you talk about, we talk about how to develop that, but just following those characters' emotional third line throughout the play and where they end off, there's been this huge political shift and they also are part of this group of people that is sort of willingly manipulated by that fabulous speech, you know, with the Antonines. But can you, can, can you talk about, like, individually how you saw your characters or did you see them more as kind of a group who thought as one in a way? I think both. I think within the group we were all very individual. We each fit a certain slot of a group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Jertha specifically was a very sassy lady. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> And she was, and was she always that in the text, or did you, is that what you brought? I think you brought a lot of that. <laughs> it was written with some sass, but I... I definitely yeah. gave it up. Yeah. 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 The text was very open-ended, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of... I had a lot of trouble figuring out who Esther was on first read-through. Eva was like, just make bold choices. I don't really care what they are or what uh-huh. they sound like. Just do something. Uh-huh. So, you know, first, okay, well, maybe she's an old woman. No, maybe she's younger. And, like, just back and forth and trying to figure out, like, where... Yeah, where that... Was there... Did you remember a moment or a scene or something that you felt you could latch on to and build from? Or did it just sort of happen? I don't know. At one point, something clicked with my relationship with Jertha. I think that... Because I opened the scene with Vera, who, from talking with Ophelia and, like, building our characters' relationships, like, Vera's definitely the oldest of the group. She already has a grown son. Mm-hmm. She's been there for a very long time. And and so I, I didn't really know where I fit into the group until I think it was I think it was when I ran away. Okay. When I stole your crown and put it on and mm-hmm. ran away. There was something in that exploration that there was a playfulness right. they could have together. Or? Yeah, and it and there was there was an ability for Esther to have clearly a strong relationship with Vera, but then also a very strong but different relationship with Jertha. So I kind of sort of found that tug-of-war middle ground. Absolutely, and even within the four of us, each of us had different relationships with each different character, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. And Jertha was kind of, at the beginning, like over it. Mm -hmm. She's a servant, but she she doesn't work that hard. (laughs) 
just for a good time to make people laugh. And That's what all the servants get the job done. And then throughout the arc of the story, right at the end, things get very real. Yes. Uh, losing friends and being in the war zone and escaping with Esther. Hmm. That is really what Jertha realizes that the world is not all fun and games and mm-hmm. washing clothes and laughing. It's mm-hmm. it's real. People die. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, what was I was going to ask, um, in terms of, I imagine all of you have varying histories with performing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there something refreshing, challenging, all those things about doing sort of half Shakespeare or third, and then half, it's sort of Shakespeare, but it's new, it's kind of modern, but it's kind of in the Shakespeare pentander. Was it, was that a challenge in any way, or was it interesting, or was it just, this is the job and this is what we're doing? It was interesting. I had, uh, coming with some Shakespeare experience, uh, I rarely get to do a show where there's new Shakespeare characters, like yeah. that, I was saying. So to play a character that had been done before in um, Shakespeare's previous production, mm-hmm. but still relatively new, was mm-hmm. interesting because I didn't have any preconceptions of who this character was. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, being a queer person and part of the LGBT community, it was refreshing to be in a Shakespeare play and play a queer character, mm-hmm. um, which is something I don't get a lot of opportunities to do. Uh, I get a lot of other opportunities. Shakespeare is chock full of male roles, mm-hmm. which is to the detriment of a lot of female performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very lucky, mm-hmm. but I'm also incredibly lucky to play the flip side of this show. Yeah, and get to kind of show off that more flexibility because just a lot of male roles are the, the mask, the mask, yes. Right? Yes. The, the standing staunch and tall kind of thing. It was really refreshing to to be part of a production that allowed for so much room for so many people to be seen in Shakespeare and by extension for other people to see themselves in Uh Shakespeare because there's very little opportunity for a lot of people to see themselves in Shakespeare Uh due to honestly casting practices Um, and so to have this play specifically written as a tool for challenging that and challenging whose stories we tell in the first place mm-hmm. it just it upped the ante so much to just breathe so much space and life into into what is otherwise a very patriarchal um, very patriarchal yeah. and very white genre yeah um, so that was yeah that was really great yeah, <laughs> yeah. for you Alex um I feel like, at least for me, but I think for most of us too, it felt very cohesive, the play. So what was new and what was old. At one point during a talkback, someone asked us uh, to name specific lines or something, what had taken come from the old and what came from the new. And at that point, we were so beyond that because it was so completely mm-hmm. its own real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's not like we approach Caitlin's text in any way differently from the original Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So... Just more just the opportunity to approach it with a very fresh outlook was more what I sort of welcomed. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't ingrained in years and years of having been played and played, you know. Um, We approached it with a very contemporary attitude because we're all, we live in this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it held up. It it is so relevant to everything right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that's... 
that's what I felt when I was doing it at least that it didn't didn't feel yeah it just it felt very fresh and new and exciting and real and it was all happening right now and it felt particularly relevant to our world right now as well so so this may be a redundant question but do you find that you guys are searching for that kind of we're in a time where these questions are being more actively addressed in theater yes trauma theater and even before that became a dominant conversation did you think I'm looking for this and it's not here as much or when it started happening you're like oh this is here now and there's there's more opportunity for it it's still not best yeah but it's it's changing is there it's a broad question but is that for the conversation as yourselves is like people working in theater as a career what you're consciously looking for versus what you find and you realize oh this is something I was looking for yes I think that having done a couple having had a couple of opportunities where you are pushing boundaries and where you are you realize you need to be looking for that work Mm -hmm. and making that work happen and it's not good enough to simply take what comes to you and try within your little you know framework to sort of open the walls a little bit Mm -hmm. you need to actually actively seek that out and change it as much as you can yourself yeah in my email when I submitted two auditions um, in my email to to Eva I said I want to support this work with my work as an actor I, I really try to yeah not just go to every possible audition but also to to ask myself do I want to support this art with my art because it's not just you know I'm going to sit here as a casting director and wait for all these actors to come to me you know we also have the ability to decide do I want to support this art with my art it it is a a two-sided conversation Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I, I, I just, I, yeah, I think much like you were saying, this really. I feel like I somehow accidentally fell into a bunch of roles where that was happening, just because I had the opportunity to work with artists who were trying to change things and push boundaries. Yeah. But only recently have I started realizing that I need to do that as well mm-hmm. uh, with the jobs that I take and with yeah. the things that I submit for. Everyone, if we all just you know put a little bit more effort into that, because mm-hmm. right now things are changing rapidly, mm-hmm. uh, we can really shape the world that we want, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not just in the theater world. So, mm-hmm. yeah. do you find again as a movie about question? Do you find resistance to trying to do that in parts of the theater world? Yes, but that's. It's, it, resistance is good. Friction is, you know, give me something to push against, and then, uh, yeah, that's when that's when we really come into our own. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. a little bit, but less now. I mean, I think people are becoming a lot more aware too, uh-huh. yeah. hopefully, and a little more empathetic mm-hmm. to the voices that haven't been heard. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you find anything interesting in sort of how the audiences were responding to the show, either in talkbacks or just things that surprised you and? We had that one great talk back when it was a school, a high school performance, oh, yeah. where Patrick got his own round of applause, <laughs> uh, fully deserved, yes. but yeah. it was wonderful. I just he just came on, I think he came on stage and everyone just, he was, you know, there you go, that was, yeah. yeah. Well, they, that audience specifically, being high school students, they, 
were very responsive uh-huh. to yeah. what we were doing. Uh, as to what the responses were, uh, it's hard to gauge whether they were with me or against me. I think at the end they were with me, but I think at that age, seeing a man versus a woman on stage um, call for humor when it's not... I mean, my character was funny, so I appreciate them laughing. I just hope it was for the right reasons. They gave a round of applause. I think it was for the right reasons, yeah. Like it was. Yeah. They were with you. They weren't laughing at you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really... I wish of all the talk acts we had, the, the talk back with the high school class was the shortest and I wish it had been the longest yeah but I felt so that was this is essentially kind of answering the question they were much more immediately receptive to what we were putting out Mm -hmm. and there were other times where we we had sometimes a little bit of an older audience and there was a a bit more there we because of the way we were using the stage we kept having to walk through the lobby to Mm -hmm. make our next entrance and there were multiple performances where we met audience members leaving while we were walking out. And uh, yeah, didn't you? I mean, I had to do so many of those crosses that it happened a lot. And most of the time they were so fast, so I couldn't stop. But there were so many times where I wanted to stop and just talk to them and be like, what exactly is the issue that you're having with us right now? Because this is early. Mm-hmm. Things have, I mean, maybe they just were feeling ill. Mm-hmm. But it happened enough where we ran into people leaving, uh, that it just, yeah, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, in a way, I know that Eva and Caitlin probably loved that. They loved when people were walking out of the first production uh, because it felt... It's rough. Yeah. Which is a much more visible exit ever. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This one was visible to us as the cast. Um, But I think, yeah, that just sort of reinforced the idea that they're that this is renegade theater that yeah. they're trying to, you know, yeah, yeah, that it is actually not, eliciting a reaction. Not suiting the typical yes. theater yeah. audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was not a show where you sit down. No, we made people. Watch, probably pass out for a little bit. No, it was very engaging. Yeah. The actors are everywhere. Like you need right to next to you, yelling. <laughs> like, face. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get the sense that those they want to do more with this play? I know that Caitlin is working very hard to get as many eyes on the script as possible. Uh-huh. Um, I've also been doing my part a bit. I have some connections on the East Coast, and I've, I've put them in touch with Caitlin mm-hmm. um, to read the script and just talk more about her process. But I, I really feel like, I mean, this is... I feel like we should be studying this play in English instead of, I don't know, Twelfth Night for the millionth time or something. It's just, it's it's such a, it's not just a play that, oh, let's give the girls a chance. Like, that's not what this play is about. it's not this condescending thing. And it doesn't read like that. It is a fully fleshed out play full of really strong women who are struggling with the same things that all of the canonical men have struggled with. And it's so important to have that example because we don't really have it. Mm-hmm. We don't really have it. And I think on top of that, it, it didn't just show strong women, it showed complex women. I mean, I, yeah, I know I have a, I mean, I, I love the idea of strong women, yeah. but... It, you're strong when you need to be strong. All of us are. Yeah. But we're also 
vulnerable. We're also emotional. We're also all these other things. It's strongly, it's strongly written. Yes. yes. That's what I meant. Um, no, but it's that, cause it's, it's that thing of we want strong women. Yeah, and it's just the, like... The house of cards, like Robin Wright thing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, but... Uh, it needs... It, just because she's not in power doesn't mean... Yeah, it doesn't mean... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are not in power, but you still want to know about them. But then, exactly. yeah, or they find ways, of, which is why Cerulea was so good, because she had so much power, but she actually had no power whatsoever, yeah, exactly. but she found ways to make what she wanted to have happen, happen. And she knew that world so well from yeah. having been next to it. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think this production would be great in theater schools. Um, specifically, it was made for a large ensemble theater mm-hmm. school. I mean, I went to York, I had a class of 12, which could have done the show, but my class. You actually need a couple more people to yeah. do the show. Yeah. So it's great to have that big of a cast. Um, and I had a very female-heavy class. Mm-hmm. But that didn't mean that the shows we were doing were lending themselves to the people I we had mm-hmm. in my class, mm-hmm. which was unfortunate. I ended up with a lot of great roles, which was very nice. But a lot of my female uh, contemporaries were left with not very much, mm-hmm. which is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I feel like more and more shows and setting the precedent. Part of this show is also setting the precedent of just casting the best person, casting for what where it makes sense, mm-hmm. and that's it's just become sort of not an unquestioned thing. But you just that's what you do. It seems to make sense. Um, I had a good question that it vanished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, working as an ensemble, it is a huge ensemble. It's a lot of. Do, do you? Do you find yourself learning things as an actor, as an individual actor, when you work in a bigger show like this that you don't from an intimate, you know, chamber piece or something, maybe other kinds of stuff you've been doing? Or is it, you're still bringing the same tools as an actor and then just figuring out what works? Some of it was just also timing. When you have 15 cast members, there's only so much time that Ava can spend with each individual actor, which means that you... Six-week course. Yeah. You learn to do the work yes. <laughs> on your own and then she's there and she helps you shape it and you, you know, but you uh, you just don't have that much face time yeah. with the director, which is great when you still manage, you know, to, to bring together uh, and to rely on each other to discover things with your fellow actors uh, just simply because it's a kind of condensed period of time that you have to work with the director. Yeah. Um, and also just ensemble work is always enriching. Mm-hmm. Um, more people, even more energy and even more stuff to play around with, with each other. And different people bring out different impulses yes. in, in myself. So I could do a scene with Margaret, which would be different than the exact same scene I would, I would do with Alex. Mm-hmm. So working with an ensemble gives me more options for... Colors. Yeah, more yeah. colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Um, usually on the one-on-one interviews, you close with like, "What are you doing next?" But that's kind of such a big question. I know, especially because <laughs> the answer sometimes it's like, "I know <laughs> nothing." No. My number is. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the listeners, I don't know who listens, but I'm sure. Yeah, great. I mean, in t- look, maybe a better question is: We sort of addressed this already, but what? What does this does, does a show like this make you want to do something specific? Does it give you an inspiration or motivation to be like, I wanted to do something again that's like this, but maybe looks a little different this way? 
maybe a smaller version of this kind of show, mm -hmm. some more time, or it doesn't have to be the Shakespeare thing, but I'd love a, you know, a different version of, I don't know, a Moliere play or something. Do you like the idea, do you come away from a play like this liking the idea of continuing, like, what if looking at these classic works and doing a what if? Or is it just like, that was really cool. I'm on, I want to do something completely different now. Well, it kind of comes back to the question that you asked before, that because this was so provocative, but so enriching and so sort of pushing boundaries mm -hmm. within the casting world, within, you know, doing Shakespeare with more women, that for me means I, I want to do more work that does that, yeah. that changes my idea of the world and the audience's idea of the world and their idea of Shakespeare. So yes, yeah. but also Shakespeare. I can never get too much Shakespeare. Yeah. You just yeah. breathe differently when you're speaking like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, I'd love to do something contemporary as a nice little palate cleanser, but I want to always go back to That's that rich language yeah. and emotional awareness. In the show, for me, I, I had taken a little hiatus from acting, so this was also kind of a reinvigoration of doing it again, as well as with Margaret, we had a very similar story. Um, and yeah, I would love to continue doing work like this. I would also, it's also reignited a love of acting for me. And since that show, I've been going on auditions. I've been doing a um, small show in March. Um, I'm also doing the Shakespeare and the Rough Masterclass with Jamie Robinson coming up, so I'm very, it's, it's brought a lot to my life that I've been missing mm -hmm. for a little while. Mm -hmm. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, I... Um, it's funny, because we see this kind of, like, rewriting of Shakespeare as a new thing, but it's actually historically kind of traditional. In the Restoration period, we had playwrights rewriting the ends of Shakespeare's tragedies because they didn't want to be sad. Mm -hmm. And now we're... King Lear, everyone survives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets married or something. I mean, it, it, so this this twisting with and messing with and sort of re-queering Shakespeare is... He's so robust. You can do whatever you want with his text. And it's, it's, he'll hold up. And it's So play of, around, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I really want to do more of that. I've started playing around with um, some texts that I've always taken issue with. Um, the End of Taming of the Shrew, for example, I rewrote Kate's monologue. Did you? Like, I don't want this. This is gross. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also doing my master's right now at York in theater and performance studies. Um, and I'm, I'm on the track to um, getting certification with Breath Experience Canada at some point, hopefully in the near future, um, really looking at a holistic approach to voice coaching and, and body what is that? movement. What is Breath Experience? Breath Experience Canada is an institute um, in Vancouver, which is sort of a, a branch off of the Middendorf Institute for Breath Experience in California, I believe. Um, but the Menendorf method specifically uh, approaches voice work as more of a, a breath and body work where the voice is sort of incidental to, to the larger process of um, proprioceptive self-expression in a way. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm sort of tangentially to messing with Shakespeare, I also want to look at how we can um, uh, sort of deproblematize a lot of the, the voice coaching techniques um, 
there's a lot of uh, mental games that are played, a lot of um, a lot of abuse and power plays that happen in a lot of institutions specifically around breath and voice work, and I want to sort of crack that open and mess with that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. We're at a thousand beats right on the dot. So I think that's a perfect place to close. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. You're very welcome.